Atopic dermatitis affects all races and ethnicities, but certain groups have experienced greater social or economic barriers to diagnosis and treatment. The goal of the Moving Towards Equity podcast series is to raise awareness of the challenges, strategies, and resources for moving the needle towards equitable immunology care for all patients and practitioners in all communities. Welcome to the podcast series from the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm Dr. Payal Gupta, and this is the second of our three-part series entitled Moving Towards Equity, Disparities in Atopic Dermatitis, or AD. In this episode, we will discuss the influence of skin color in diagnosing and managing patients with atopic dermatitis. Joining me on this episode are Drs. Andrew Alexis and Dr. Marcella Aquino. Dr. Marcella Aquino is an associate professor of pediatrics at the Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University and a clinician at Rhode Island Hospital, Hasbro Children's Hospital. Her interests include allergic skin diseases, particularly allergic contact dermatitis, atopic dermatitis, and drug allergy. Dr. Aquino was recently awarded an implementation grant by the ACAAI Foundation looking at multi-level contributing factors to racial and ethnic disparities in urban children with asthma and atopic dermatitis. Dr. Alexis is the Vice Chair for Diversity and Inclusion for the Department of Dermatology and a Professor of Clinical Dermatology at Weill Cornell Medical College in New York City. He is the former chair of the Department of Dermatology at Mount Sinai Morningside and Mount Sinai West. Having served as director of the first-of-its-kind Skin of Color Center for over 15 years, his work has helped to advance patient care, research, and education pertaining to dermatologic disorders that are prevalent in populations with skin of color. Welcome to the show, doctors. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great. So let's get started. Dr. Aquino, can you tell us a little bit about the epidemiology of atopic dermatitis in children and adults? Are there geographical differences? Absolutely. So it was previously felt that atopic dermatitis resolved mostly in childhood. However, it does seem to persist in about a quarter to a half of patients. And previously underrecognized is adult onset of atopic dermatitis that is reported in approximately a quarter of adult patients with atopic dermatitis. Being of Hispanic ethnicity and either African-American or Black race is associated with increased odds of persistently active atopic dermatitis from childhood into adulthood. However, you have to take into consideration that prevalence rates and epidemiology are complicated by various factors, including differences in diagnostic criteria, is one using Hennepin-Rajka criteria, United Kingdom Working Party criteria, and the differences in appearance and distribution of atopic dermatitis in different studies. We do know that the prevalence of atopic dermatitis is increasing globally, and there are demonstrated differences in atopic dermatitis rates between different geographic areas. A recently published review of atopic dermatitis in patients with skin of color noted higher overall rates of atopic dermatitis in patients hailing from Africa and Oceania, as opposed to those who live in India and either Northern or Eastern Europe. In the United States, bringing it closer to home, atopic dermatitis prevalence was found to be higher in African-American children compared to European-American children. I will note that some of our best estimates of atopic dermatitis prevalence 
internationally came from the International Study of Asthma and Allergies in Childhood, the so-called ISAAC study. And in this study, they used the UK Working Party criteria for the diagnosis of atopic dermatitis. Data was analyzed from approximately almost 400,000 children aged 6 to 7 years and almost double that in children aged 13 to 14 years. And there were higher prevalences in children in Ecuador versus India in the younger age group and those in Colombia versus China in the older age group. So bringing this home, the prevalence of atopic dermatitis is increasing among six to seven-year-olds in both developing and developed nations. Dr. Alexis, I understand that you were one of the authors of the review that Dr. Quina was just talking about. So it's really nice to have one of the authors with us today. Can you tell us what you were most surprised to find when you published that review? Yes, thank you, Dr. Gupta. One of the things that I found surprising when reviewing the epidemiology of atopic dermatitis is that when we look at the U.S. data, including a study published by Shaw and colleagues that used the National Survey of Children's Health data, they found that Black children in the United States were 1.7 times more likely to have atopic dermatitis compared to white children. And this in itself is not terribly surprising, but what I found surprising in particular is that this increased prevalence persisted after controlling for potential confounding factors, such as insurance status, household income, metropolitan versus rural environment, parental education level, for example. So given what we know about the role of social determinants of health and how that might play into differences in prevalence rates for atopic dermatitis, I found it surprising that even when one controls for these potential confounders, there still seems to be a higher prevalence in Black children compared to white children in the U.S. Yes, and I think that's why it's so important that we're having this discussion for our peers so that we can really understand the differences in patients with atopic dermatitis and skin of color. And Dr. Aquino, could you talk about what the differences in the appearance of atopic dermatitis for different race and ethnicities are? Absolutely. I'm happy to start off the discussion, and I'm sure Dr. Alexis can provide us with additional information as well. So in looking at Black patients, they're less likely to have flexural dermatitis and more commonly present with extensor dermatitis, so different locations. There can be a perifollicular prominence and distinct papules on the trunk and extensors. This tends to be more common patients of either Black race or African-American descent. Additionally, you can see lichen planus type lesions, Denny Morgan lines, diffuse cirrhosis or dry skin, periorbital dark circles, lesions of parigo nodularis, and palmar hyperlinearity. Erythema, as we discussed in the first podcast, in darker skinned individuals may not be as well appreciated. Asian patients with atopic dermatitis tend to have more well demarcated lesions, but they also can appear more form. The college has a valuable and comprehensive website to help diagnose this atopic dermatitis in people of color that includes a really nice picture gallery and patient resources. And the website is called eczemaandskinofcolor.org. That's great. I'm excited to look at that resource myself. And Dr. Alexis, please add to this and tell us what you found in your years of experience. So yes, I'd be happy to elaborate. There are several studies that have investigated epidermal differences between various racial ethnic populations. 
And two of these studies have shown that ceramide content in the stratum corneum of individuals of African ancestry was significantly lower than in the comparison groups, that is, Asian or white subjects. While this should be validated in larger studies with clearer definitions of the specific population studied, a lower ceramide content in the stratum corneum might contribute to a tendency toward dry skin in Black patients of African ancestry. That's very interesting. And Andrew, do you feel that that might be a reason that we found that Black children are more likely to have atopic dermatitis or really we just need more studies to figure out why that is? Yeah, I think we need more studies why we see these variations in in prevalence, including a higher prevalence among Black children. But it suggests that at least one factor might be structural differences with respect to lipid content in the stratum corneum. But again, larger studies with clearer definitions of the specific patient populations, their geographic location, their self-identified racial ethnic group, their Fitzpatrick skin type. I think more detail is needed and it would be good to validate these findings in larger, more diverse patient populations. I agree. It sounds like we definitely need to do some more work in that area. And I'm glad that you're a part of that work already. And then Dr. Aquino, what do we know regarding the differences in the genetics of atopic dermatitis for different race and ethnicities? Yes, happy to answer. So there seems definitely to be a variation and it appears that Asian patients with atopic dermatitis have stronger TH17 or TH22 activation than African-American and European-American patients with atopic dermatitis. It was also noted that African-American patients have the highest serum IgE levels among all groups, which I think can also influence other atopic diseases, and largely lacked TH1 and TH17 activation. Another thing to talk about is flagrin. Flagrin genes encode for are associated with skin barrier defects in many patients with atopic dermatitis. And studies have found loss of function mutations are commonly seen in European patients with atopic dermatitis as well as Asian patients. However, it seems that filaggrin mutations are less common in African-American in comparison to European-American patients with atopic dermatitis. However, again, I think the genetics also plays with social determinants of health. Recently, a review of two multi-ethnic longitudinal studies, one used the Kaiser Permanente Genetic Epidemiology Research on Adult Health and Aging, or the JERA cohort, and the National Pediatric Eczema Registry, or the PEER cohort. And this found that African ancestry that was obtained via whole genome sequencing was not associated with AD risk or control among self-identified African-American subjects with atopic dermatitis in either cohort. So there definitely is that interplay between social determinants of health and genetics. There, however, is a very large gap in our knowledge of the genetics of our Latinx population and whether there are differences based on what type of Hispanic ethnicity you are from. Yes. And Dr. Alexis, from your vast experience in treating skin of color, are there specific challenges in the clinical presentations of atopic dermatitis? Well, yes. As we all know, the clinical presentation of atopic dermatitis is extremely heterogeneous. And when it presents across the diverse spectrum of populations that we see, recognizing the various morphologies can be a challenge 
depending on one's own clinical experience and exposures. So first off, recognizing manifestations of erythema in the context of richly pigmented skin requires training of the eye to detect the various color changes that correspond with inflamed skin, such as red, red-brown, violaceous, or dark brown, which may be referred to as hyperchromic to differentiate it from hyperpigmentation. So in the context of richly pigmented skin, the way we recognize erythema may vary because of the masking and alteration of what redness looks like in that context. So I often recommend starting an examination by calibrating the eye, so to speak, by first focusing on an area of unaffected non-lesional skin and then comparing that to involved skin. And using other clinical signs beyond erythema, such as warmth, population, scale, lichenification, and symptomatology is also key to increasing the level of detection of active areas and determining more accurately a body surface area and overall severity of the disease for a given patient. Another clinical difference that can sometimes be a challenge depending on one's own experience is the tendency towards follicular or micropapular presentations of eczema, which are more commonly seen in individuals of African descent. This so-called follicular morphology is characterized by multiple one to three millimeter papules and sites of predilection of eczema and may lack other signs of eczema or atopic dermatitis, such as scaling or lichenification. So you have to recognize that those little tiny papules represent an expression or a morphology of atopic dermatitis. So knowing the variants of AD that affect certain populations more frequently is very important to making the correct diagnosis and coming up with an accurate assessment of severity. Other examples include the psoriasiform morphology that may be more frequently seen in patients with East Asian ancestry and the lichenoid morphology that has been described in patients of African ancestry. Now, differentiating atopic dermatitis from other conditions, such as lichen planus, especially in the context of this lichenoid morphology, can be done by examining the entire patient and looking for typical signs of predilection of atopic dermatitis, as well as the existence of a personal and family history of atopy to help support the diagnosis. Occasionally, there are scenarios where a biopsy might be needed to help differentiate atopic dermatitis from other conditions. And uh, in addition, it is important to remember that patients with skin of color can experience pigmentary alterations following resolution of the eczema. And this certainly contributes to the overall disease burden that patients with skin of color have when they suffer from atopic dermatitis. Yes. And actually we interviewed a patient and she spoke about those pigmentary changes. And I think we're going to delve into that more in episode three. And all the information that you provided is so helpful. She also was talking about the importance in how you pick your physician. And I'm going to stop and just allow that clip to be played. Yes, I actually switched to a black female doctor, Dr. Carter, and she has been very helpful in just like helping me find lotions or medications or just different options and solutions to preventing skin discoloration. I believe my mom always tried to find a black female physician, whether it comes to like my general 
physician, dermatology, or anything of the sort, just because they would be able to recognize all of those high-risk factors. But I know that she also searches for 100 recommendations for a doctor, even like despite whatever ethnicity or race or gender they are, just because that also contributes to a lot of how well they treat you or what their treatment may look like. So as you can see, Mackenzie made some really informed and I think very important decisions in her healthcare and decided to find a physician that she felt would understand her better. Dr. Quino and Dr. Alexis, do you have any comments on what you've heard and what do you think about the importance of obviously diversity in our physician population? Yes, I'd be happy to comment. And this is a scenario that I hear time and time again from my own patients who tend to report having seen multiple different providers before they get to one that they are comfortable with, one that they feel that understands and recognizes their condition and can take it seriously enough to educate and prescribe the most appropriate therapy. And while certainly many patients would prefer to have, you know, what we would call a race concordant visit, to have a doctor or a clinician provider that looks like them, this is not necessarily the only way to get a culturally competent and accurate assessment. And so I want to make it clear that anyone of any background can treat any patient of any background and any patient should feel comfortable seeing any physician or other clinician of any background. It's especially important that the education and exposure of our allergy and dermatology community is sufficient to equip our healthcare providers with the knowledge and experience and expertise that they need to accurately assess atopic dermatitis and other inflammatory conditions across the diverse spectrum of skin types. So that being said, we also have a shortage of physicians that self-identify as various populations of color. And this is an issue in dermatology in particular, as it is in other specialties. And a lot of work is being done to increase diversity within the specialty. And with this increased diversity come uh, more perspective, a range of different experiences and expertise, which ultimately raise the whole specialty and improve the care of our patients, which is what it's all about. I think that's a wonderful response, Dr. Alexis. I think it's just very important for patients to advocate for themselves And if there is not a right fit with the clinician that you're seeing, it's okay to get a second opinion or a third opinion. And I agree that exposing residents during residency to patients with skin of color helps them become better clinicians. And exposing medical students to both dermatology and allergy immunology and being able to access physicians of different races and ethnicities, I think just enriches what we can offer patients. Yes, I agree. And giving the patients a choice, as I mentioned in my comment, that patients like the one that you've told us about, Dr. Gupta, often prefer a physician that comes from a similar background. And when there's just a dearth of physicians of color in our specialties, that option doesn't exist for so many of our patients or is extremely difficult for them to find. And so this is something that we're working towards improving. One question that comes up is, well, how does one find a a physician 
that is experienced or has expertise in understanding nuances in skin of color. And one way of doing it, there are several ways, is using the Skin of Color Society website. And one can search for physician members of the Skin of Color Society, which is an international professional society of physicians and researchers that are committed to advancing care in skin of color. Additionally, I would say in a lot of communities, word of mouth recommendations are really important for a patient to access a healthcare provider. Exactly. Yes. And I really want to thank both of you for your expertise and for taking the time to be on today. That's all the time that we have. So again, thank you. And that concludes part two of our three-part series on moving towards equity disparities in atopic dermatitis from the ACAAI. Be sure to join us for a future episode on improving access to the treatment of AD. For more resources around AD, visit https colon backslash backslash education.acaai.org backslash disparities. For other interesting episodes from Allergy Talk, please visit college.acaai.org backslash allergy talk. To receive CME credit for this or other eligible Allergy Talk podcasts, visit education.acaai.org backslash allergy talk. And I'm Dr. Pyle Gupta for the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology.